Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host of Funding the Dream. Actually, this episode is Funding the Dream on Indiegogo. We're going to be talking to a uh, project owner who launched their project on Indiegogo. We're going to talk about why they did that and kind of the, the process that they're going through. I really appreciate all of you that are listening, and there are a lot of you. It's been a lot of fun to watch the growth of the podcast. You know, we've been doing it since 2011, talking about Kickstarter, talking about crowdfunding, Indiegogo, and the changes are happening so fast, it continues to be amazing. I have had a great time getting to know you and reaching out to me. We've talked on Twitter, email, Facebook, LinkedIn, in person. You know, that's probably been one of the more satisfying aspects of this podcast is the chance to meet so many of you who are listening and find it beneficial. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out and letting me know about the benefit that this is bringing to you. You know, we've got a couple of things coming up uh, in the crowdfunding space. There's equity-based crowdfunding, rewards-based crowdfunding. And equity-based crowdfunding is this idea the government has said, look, we're going to allow people to raise money to sell pieces of their company. That's called equity-based crowdfunding. It's called the Jobs Act. It was passed last year, but it hasn't been put into effect yet. And um, it's going to be different than Kickstarter. Kickstarter has said they're not going to be part of this equity-based crowdfunding. And so I have an opinion about that. I'm watching the equity-based crowdfunding crowd, and there are a lot of them. There is a new one popping up every day. They all think that all of you have a ton of money sitting in your pocket just waiting to buy pieces of small little companies. You know, I've talked to a lot of you, and that's not what you're telling me. Now, on the other hand, when I go out and give a speech, a presentation, and talk to an audience about rewards-based crowdfunding, which is what Kickstarter is, give a pledge, get a reward, after I'm done, every single one of you, and i got to believe this is the reason you listen to my podcast, every single one of you, when you listen to my guests, you listen to me, you actually believe yourself that you have the opportunity of going and launching a Kickstarter project. That's why you listen. That's why you're paying attention. That's why you reach out to me. And when you succeed, I very much appreciate the credit that you give to me and my guests. When you fail, I very much appreciate the credit that you give to me and my guests. Oh, we didn't listen to you. Wish I would have heard you sooner. That's very flattering. But here's the thing. Each one of you believes that you have an opportunity of doing a crowdfunding Kickstarter-like project. And you do. And that's what makes the rewards-based crowdfunding like Kickstarter so amazing. It is transformational. You have a dream. You have thought about something for years. You've had a, you know, a lot of you are board gamers, a board game, a video game, a cookbook, a documentary, an idea, a dance, a play. All of you have these things that you've thought about and dreamed about. And the one thing that's always held you back is the feeling that if I just had the money, well, as you already know, listening to my podcast, that problem is being solved. If you have the passion and the interest, there are people out there who will give you money. You want to guess what the number one question is that I get asked, and many people who get asked when you start talking about crowdfunding, particularly Kickstarter, the number one question, why would someone just give you money? What's in it for them? We have been trained as a society, particularly the business side, that you don't open your wallets or do anything unless you can identify what's in it for you. 
But that's not what this is all about. We back each other, support each other, and give back to each other because we believe in each other. And it's not necessarily what's in it for me. So there's my little thing today to kind of talk about what I've learned. If you'd like to have me come and speak, present in your area, reach out to me. I've got an innovative and creative way that we can do that. So I look forward to hearing from you. Now, let's go ahead and talk to my guest. My guest today is someone who has um, turned to crowdfunding, specifically Indiegogo, to, to tackle a particularly big issue that they were faced with. Um, I'm joined by Gannon Merrill, the founder and co-founder, excuse me, and president of Ogave uh, Organic Soda Company. So, Gannon, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. So if I understand, Ogave, that's spelled O-O-G-A-V-E. Ogave is an organic soda company. You guys are based in Denver. Um, I've read up a little bit about you guys. Uh, You're kind of going head-to-head here with Pepsi and uh, Coke, trying to kind of carve out your particular niche in the the soda market. Is that right? Absolutely. And uh, just uh, for uh, clarification, it's Ugave. We made made up a word uh, that it doesn't... Uh, uh, it doesn't adhere to any language pronunciation principles in its entirety. So uh, <laughs> sometimes people need a little assistance in oh, pronouncing it correctly. And I'm one of those. Okay, so Ugave. I apologize. Ugave. And uh, tell me a little bit about – so tell me – you guys are based in Denver. Tell me a little bit about the, the company. Sure. Uh, Ugave makes, as you said, all-natural soda sweetened with agave nectar that's certified organic. It's uh, lower glycemic, and it's only 100 calories per serving, which is about 30% less than regular soda. We were uh, we basically invented our soda out of a, a desire to have a product that didn't have corn syrup in it. And uh, initially, my business partner created it for his restaurant and was so successful there with people coming in requesting the soda that he decided it was time to bottle it and take it mainstream to the now, public. Now, so, this is a, now, if I understand right, um, that's not a minor undertaking to become and start bottling your own soda. That, that no, sense. in fact, it, it's, it's, it's a rather daunting task to, uh, to get a product launched, uh, particularly something like uh, soda, which requires a lot of equipment to manufacture. Um, you know, mom and pops who were making a salsa or an energy bar or some other baked good, they have a lot easier time scaling up with the in a commissary kitchen, for example. Sure. But something like Ugave, you need, uh, you know, some, at a minimum, a, a line, an equipment line that probably costs four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars for a a very old used equipment line, let alone uh, a new one. So just to be clear to our listeners, um, your project isn't to raise the funds to start up because you guys have been in business for several years, right? Correct. Our first bottle placement in retail was January of 2009. So uh, we're at a point where uh, we're, we've are we run out of uh, our own funds and we need a little bit more to get us over the edge to profitability, which we think will come in the next 12 to 24 months. How long does it – so do the math. I, I don't want to do the math in my head. Um, how long does it take to reach profitability then doing this? So how many years is that going to be that you've 
you've run this thing? Uh, that'd be five to six years. And it's fairly typical for a startup to take five years to get to profitability. Yeah, because if I understand, you're dealing with, this is not a high margin, right? You're not selling luxury cars here. No, no, we don't have a, a extremely high margin. We have a, a reasonable product margin. Is a rule just for any of your listeners out there who are interested in starting a consumer packaged goods company? I would say don't even spend time on your dream if you have less than a fifty percent profit margin on your cost of goods. Fifty percent profit margin is awesome if you're selling hundred thousand dollar cars or million dollar homes, but you're selling my soda, which means you got to sell a lot of soda. Yeah, we do have to sell a lot. There's a, a very significant amount of marketing expenses required to get your placement in retail grocery stores and uh, promote the product to, to gain consumer awareness and um, just running through the other the whole channel, uh, there are a variety of uh, places along the way where, where there are some elements of your margin that get eroded. So uh, you do have to have a, a good, healthy margin in order to get through all those costs and have some money left at the end of the day to go to the bottom line. And I guess that's where the, that's where your project comes in, right? That uh, you guys, uh, that margin um, is... You know, the profitability has been there. You've been running on investment capital, and now you've decided that, hey, this is time to let's turn to crowdfunding to kind of raise a little bit of – to extend the runway a little bit. Absolutely. Um, we we decided that uh, – we got some news on New Year's Eve that our, our primary investor was not interested in uh, any further investment in Agave. And uh, that left us in a bit of a pinch. Uh, the, the timing was very, very suboptimal to get that news, and we decided that we, we were we were pretty close on uh, on the cusp, and uh, we did not want to go down without uh, trying every opportunity at our fingertips. And uh, you know, obviously, we there we're searching. Uh, through our network for uh, additional equity partners, but primarily. Uh, you know, that takes a long time and a lot of conversations. And uh, one of the benefits of crowdfunding is it's it's relatively quick. Um, you know, we can put together a, a campaign like we did on Indiegogo, which took about uh, two weeks of planning. We did a lot of research online and uh, d- determined that, you know, it, it could go viral. If it goes viral, then, uh, you know, all of our problems are solved. Uh, at least for today. And uh, if it doesn't go viral, it should give us a little extra runway to, to find another solution. So from our perspective, it was a, it was a no-lose proposition. Uh, we did go out with, with a campaign that, that is very blunt about our situation. Um, we decided that uh, the brand is uh, has always been quite transparent to the consumer, and we wanted to maintain that. So we didn't hide the fact that we were on the ropes, that we were in trouble. And I, I, I think that, you know, some people have felt that was a bad idea outside of Mugave, but from my perspective, you know, I've dedicated four years of my life, uh, my blood, sweat, and tears to this company and, and pretty much all of my net worth. And uh, I wasn't going to go down uh, just by because I wanted to be prideful and not reach out my hand to the general public and ask for help. 
You know, Gannon, you bring up a really uh, interesting point. Uh, I talk to a lot of people, and one of the things that is struck is in that pride. We And I have addressed this on many different issues. We are not used to, in our society, of being comfortable reaching out and asking people for help, particularly when it deals with money. And you, uh, that, That's absolutely true. Right? And so it's that fear, that pride, that embarrassment – those feelings that so many of us have when we have a dream, we have a passion, we want to see it succeed, and sometimes it's simply our own unwillingness to uh, open ourselves up to a bit of criticism and a bit of judgment and say, look, I have a dream, I have a passion, I want to see this succeed. And in this case, that's what you've done here, and I commend you for that because that all the people I talk to, all the, the correspondents I have, that seems to be the number one issue that people have to overcome when they get ready to launch a crowdfunding project is actually saying, please, I, I need some money. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's definitely uh, a challenge in the, in the society we live in to, to ask for help publicly and to essentially admit that you're, you are weak or, or having struggles. Um, well, but, you know uh, but you make that point, is that it's almost – it's because you aren't weak – um, but that is the stigma that's associated with if you have to ask for help, you must be weak. And if you must be weak, you know, it's the men- herd mentality. Cut the weak ones out of the herd and, and we'll move on. And and really that's not what it is. It's like, hey, life deals you issues. And you almost could argue, Gannon, that you're strong because you're willing to say, look, I will I will take whatever steps necessary to continue to pursue my passion and to make sure this thing succeeds. And that is certainly not – Right, that's certainly not a weak position, is it? It's actually no, and it's the harder thing to do. Yeah, and I I, I do believe that uh, it, if uh, if one is willing to and able to be completely open and honest with with their consumers, with with their supporters, uh, that, that nothing but good can come from that. Um, so you know, there have been some. Uh, people, some minor detractors, but uh, on the whole, everybody's been very supportive of us. Um, you know, retailers have, have expressed some concerns, and uh, I've I've had personal conversations with them to ensure that they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, I think the other thing that's really interesting is uh, when people see a product on the shelf at the grocery store. There, there's a tendency to assume that 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 company is is uh, doing quite well. Um, you know, particularly when a company has pretty packaging. Our, our packaging is very colorful and clean. Looks really nice on the shelf. We have good shelf placement, uh, and we've been growing at thirty to forty percent a year for our, our revenue growth. Um, but we're still not yet cash flow positive, and and that's because you have to get to a tremendous volume. Uh, before you reach that point with a consumer packaged good company selling products in retail. So while we may look really pretty on the shelf, um, you know, that belies the fact that, that we did ha- kind of hit this bump in our life cycle and, and need some help. So I also felt like it was very important to reach out and be you know, extremely vocal to the public about our scenario and that we do, we do need some help to, to, help the company thrive. Well, you are, uh, we are in a new age of the way that social media works, crowds, 
um, Seth Godin's tribes concept, where we're all finding that small uh, groups of mobilized fans can make a huge difference and that we don't, that the traditional ways are still there, but there are these new opportunities and avenues, and it's one that you're pursuing. Um, and, and so I have, a, I, have a, I have a question for you uh, before, because we're almost out of time. Uh, mm-hmm. You made the decision to go to Indiegogo. Tell me a little bit about, because our listeners are always asking, what's the difference between Indiegogo and Kickstarter? Uh, you made the decision to go with Indiegogo. What, what was your thought process there? Sure. Well, uh, we are obviously uh, in an existing business who's got product out there in the real world already. So we we needed the the flexible funding campaigns. The, 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 one of the primary differences is the option to have a, a fixed funding or a flexible funding campaign. Fixed funding being you have to hit your goal to to um, take any of your money that you've raised. And the flexible funding campaign is one where whatever comes in the door you, you get to take. Um, and obviously, we everybody uh, who donates to the campaign or supports the campaign gets uh, their perks or rewards. So it for that's probably the primary reason that made the most sense to go to Indiegogo because we were, as I said, if even if we don't hit our goal, any money that we take in will help extend our runway as we seek other solutions as well. So we didn't only do the Indiegogo campaign; we're also out there seeking alternative solutions to our. our cash flow situation. Um, so we felt like if Indiegogo were successful and we hit the goal, awesome. If we didn't hit the goal, that's okay too, because it's going to give us a little buffer as we find an alternate solution. Perfect. How do people, uh, tell me the Ugave, how do they find Ugave to support it? Um, sure. Uh, you can go to Indiegogo, search for Ugave, O-O-G-A-V-E, can go to saveugave.com. Uh, we've created a side website that, that has some other information about the company that you can't necessarily communicate on the uh, Indiegogo platform. And uh, you can always go to our Facebook page. We've got plenty of links there that uh, tie back to the campaign. And that's Ugave. So saveugave.com sounds like the easiest way. That's S-A-V-E-O-O-G-A-V-E. Save double O gave if you want to remember it. Save Ugave. Gannon, thank you very much for taking a few minutes to uh, kind of talk to us about the situation, being very open. And I know that really helps listeners because I I know having talked to several who are in similar situations, they're watching your approach and how your success and uh, how you're doing things to help them. I appreciate you taking the time to help our listeners kind of get a, a better perspective of this. Sure. It's been my pleasure, Richard. Thanks a lot for, uh, Uh, giving us this opportunity to help spread the word. You've been listening to Funding the Dream. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and we've been talking to Gannon Merrill, the co-founder of Ugave, a soda company in Denver, Colorado, that's an organic, no high fructose corn syrup. So there you go. Take a look at saveugave.com. Their Indiegogo project is out there. Uh, Thanks for listening. Hopefully you've heard something that's inspiring. I know I have, and I look forward to seeing your project out there so we can help you fund your dream. Take care. (laughs) 